0: Okay, a little scripture in the book of Psalms 105, verse 16 through 19. The Bible says, When he, God, summoned a famine on the land and broke all supply of bread, he had sent a man ahead of them, Joseph, who was sold as a slave. His feet were hurt with fetters, that means chains. His neck was put in a collar of iron until what God had said came to pass. Until what he, God, had said came to pass, the word of the Lord tested him. That word for tested is a similar word to refined him. It's like when you put ore through the fire, it separates the, um, the, gold, the gold or the metal from the other impurities that are in there. So the word of the Lord was refining him this whole time Um, And so basically what was happening is God was preparing Joseph. So uh, God's will has always been to realize his purposes through the people he created to govern the planet in cooperation with him. If you go back and read in Genesis, he created Adam and Eve. But Adam and Eve were not to be uh, the only uh, rulers of the planet. When we talk about the word rule, we don't want to misconstrue that word. It means uh, stewards. And a good steward biblically is someone that causes things to prosper and to grow and to become all that they're supposed to be. Like a gardener in a garden, a good gardener allows the garden to produce lots of okra. Right, TR? <laughs> lots of whatever is planted because you are taking care of the garden you're you're pruning it you're doing everything that needs to be done for it to become all that it was created to be so when we're talking about ruling we're really using the word serving or stewarding uh, uh, in that kind of capacity but anyway adam and eve were not the only ones they were actually uh, 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 types of the human race every one of us were children of Adam and Eve are children of Adam and Eve and the same um, purpose that he created them for is the same purpose we've been created for we are to uh, govern this planet steward this planet in cooperation with him by bringing the kingdom of God the will of God into this arena God is a spirit We've been created spirit, soul, and body. So we are the intermediaries between the spirit realm and the natural realm. And God works his will through people that he created to bring his will into manifestation. Does that make sense? Well, God can do anything. Yes, he can do anything. And in doing anything, he created you and I to do everything in this planet in cooperation with God. Yeah, that's why the Bible says in Ezekiel 22 and 30, I look for someone to cooperate with me, to stand in the gap, and I could not find anyone because he created us to work in partnership with him. So I said, well, no, that, that destroys the sovereignty of God. That minimizes what God can do. God in his sovereignty chose to create this system, and this is how he wants to work. Can he do whatever he wants? Of course he can do whatever he wants, but in doing whatever he wants, this is what he wants. Does that make sense? Okay, so in Genesis 1:26, God said, "Let us make man in our image, and that's man and woman together before they were separated, uh, in our image after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea." Now it doesn't say "let us"; it says "let them" have dominion over the fish of the sea, the birds of the air, uh, the birds of the heavens, over the livestock, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God is purposely not not wanting to be involved in this planet but he wants to work through us. That's why he gives us dominion. Because he could have said, and let them partner with us to have dominion. He didn't say that. He could have said, let them work with me as I exercise dominion. No, he said, let them have dominion in the planet. So he was turning over this planet to us, never to be out of relationship with us, never to be out of partnership with us, but to work in partnership with him, in agreement with him, out of our free will to bring his will into this manifestation here on the planet. So, unfortunately, we uh, succumbed to temptation. Adam and Eve succumbed to temptation. When they succumbed to temptation, they lost their authority. And uh, uh, after humanity's fall, mankind was still God's instruments to bring his will to bear. But now the vessels would require a greater amount of preparation to accomplish the purpose to which they would be assigned. So they fell. They would have to be restored. Right? Right? But restored to what? Restored to the position from where they fell. To do what? To go again and accomplish what God had originally given us the uh, assignment when he set us over this uh, natural realm. But we're going to look at Joseph. And even though Joseph is uh, uh, pre-New Covenant, uh, um, uh, pre-New Testament scenario where we are changed by being born again... God still did a work in Joseph's life to prepare him for the call that he had in his life. And what we want to do is we want to look at Joseph's uh, uh, destiny, Joseph's call, and uh, what it was in that call that was a catalyst for his preparation in order to realize, realize the purposes of God through his life. Okay, so the first thing we want to look at, uh, and basically it's all about how God was preparing Joseph. We're going to begin with. Uh, let me just kind of set you this little background. Joseph, when God began to work in his life, was young, and we think he was around. Um, I know that when he went down to Egypt, he was 17. The Bible, the Bible makes that clear, but we don't know how long had God had been working with Joseph in his life and through his life. So we're going to say he was in his teens, right? He was a young teenager, maybe 15, 16, 17. Uh, uh, somewhere around there and so he's by no means um, mature he's by no means someone that has had experience in life we're not saying that he doesn't have a call in his life he just needs to grow right so what we're going to be looking at is uh, the things that God was working in Joseph to prepare Joseph so he could actually fulfill what God wanted him to do in life. And what we're going to see in Joseph is some of the things that God was working in him to better him, to prepare him for the role that God had destined him for. So the first point I titled is Joseph's Self-Importance. Genesis 37, 5-8 says, Joseph had a dream, and he told it to his brothers. They hated him even more, and he said to them, Hear this dream that I have dreamed. Behold, we were binding sheaves in the field, and behold, my sheaf arose and stood upright. And behold, your sheaves gathered around it and bowed down to my sheaf. And his brother said to him, Are you indeed to reign over us, or are you indeed to rule over us? And so they hated him even more for his dreams and for his words. Now they already hated him because his father... Uh, favor, uh, showed favor to him over and above his brothers but now they, the Bible says they hated him even more so now notice that we only have one dream related to us in this account so far yet the Bible specifically says that the brothers hated him for his dreams plural so this was not the first time and it was not a one time occurrence it seems to be that Joseph was constantly telling them about the dreams he had now this would be harmless in itself if it wasn't for the second part of that statement they didn't hate him just for his dreams the text says they hated him for his dreams and for his words so to me this implies that it was not just the dreams but also how he presented the dream and what he did with his presentation when you were growing up and you do have Brothers, sisters, right? Y'all don't want to talk about it. (laughs) It's very painful in your life growing up with your brothers and sisters, right? Because what they would do is if something happened to you, they wouldn't come with compassion most of the time, especially boys. They'd go, (laughs) look what happened to you. You know, if you got hurt, oh, that was funny. That was the most funniest thing that can happen. That's just the way boys are, right? All right, so I'm sure, remember, Joseph is not mature yet. So I'm sure in some ways, and this is the way I look at Joseph. See, a lot of times we think Joseph was already prepared. He was already established. He was already all that he was going to become. I don't know about you, but when I was 15, I was very immature. You know that a 15-year-old, on their best day, they will act 15. On their very best day. Most of the time, they're going to act like they're three. Not 15 or seven or nine. If Joseph is 15 years old, he's got some of that in him, and they didn't like not just the dreams and the interpretation of the dreams, but in my mind, how he went about telling them, I'm going to be better than you. Ha, 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 ha. Now, we already know that Job's father created a climate of favoritism within the family. Joseph was the son of Jacob's favorite wife, Rachel, the two wives. One of them he liked, the other one, hmm. Joseph was Jacob's favorite son. Joseph was young when all this was taking place. He was taken down to Egypt at the age of 17. Joseph, being as young as he was, didn't have the character to handle the favor he was receiving. And in my opinion, he was prideful about it this doesn't negate God's purpose for Joseph God's purpose for Joseph was already predetermined by God Psalms 139 16 says your eyes the psalmist says your eyes saw my unformed substance in your books were written every one of them the days that were formed or prepared for me when as yet there was none of them so God has already determined Our purpose and destiny in life and so it's important that we understand we weren't uh, no matter what life says to us no matter what people said to us God says to us you were not an accident you were not a mistake you were created by God on purpose for a purpose now in Jeremiah 1 5 he tells he tells Jeremiah and Jeremiah was a teenager at the time as well He said before I formed you in the womb I knew you listen before I formed you in the womb I knew you there is a scripture that I'm not sure if it's uh, it's one of these or not but there's a scripture that says he knit us together in the womb it's like you are more than just a collection of cells when you and I think if we knew this, and so that's why it's so important to know the Word of God. You see, the world wants us to believe because they have no regard for God. I want to have any God, anything. It's science, science. This is all about science. And I listen. True science is meant to discover what God has created. So we're not against science. But the Word of God supplies things to us that science only conjectures about and they conjecture falsely because they don't have, they have a presupposition that there is no God. But the world won't work that way because the Bible says that God created the world. So it's like trying to put together a puzzle without the manual, and thinking you got it right, and never realizing—you know—that's not the way it's meant to go together. You're doing the best you can with what you have, but you fail miserably. It's only when we come back to the Lord and realize that God created us. So, my point was is that when you, uh, when when um, uh, an ovum is fertilized and a child is is become a life, now becomes in the womb god in some way i don't know how he does it but he knits together a spiritual essence a spirit i don't understand it i don't know how he kind of puts it together with that with that cell and you become life i'm not I'm not a theologian in that sense. I I don't understand how it works. All I know is it's it's not just a natural thing. It's a a natural and supernatural combined. God puts you in that womb. You're a life. In the same way that God breathes life into Adam, he breathes life into that womb. I don't know how he does it. We'll figure that out somewhere down the road, but you won't figure it out without God. So anyway, the Bible says, uh, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I consecrated you. I set you apart. I appointed you a prophet to the nations. This is my purpose and my destiny for you. Right? And then he reveals that to Jeremiah. Now, every one of us has a purpose and a destiny. We're not all purposed and destined by God to, to, uh, to be preachers, to be prophets, to be apostles, to be pastors. We're not all destined to do that. But we all have a destiny from God. Some of us were created to be uh, 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 artists. Some of us were created to be musicians. Some of us were created to be businessmen, businesswomen. Some of us were created... you understand there's so many things that God has purposed for us? And finding that purpose, finding that destiny, and fitting into it is what gives great meaning to your life, right? So anyway, Psalms 105, verse 16 through 17. When he summoned a famine on the land and broke all supply of bread... He sent a man ahead of them, Joseph, who was sold as a slave. So Joseph needed to be prepared for the purpose to which he was ordained. Yes, and through his dreams we understand that he was going to be in a position of rulership. Through his dreams we understand that his parents and them were going to bow down. But they weren't going to bow down to him because he was uh, uh, over them in a way, in a prideful way, or he was better than them. Now God was going to send him to Egypt to save them. But Joseph wasn't wise enough, mature enough, smart enough to know that yet. And so God was working on Joseph. Joseph needed to be prepared for the purpose to which he was ordained. Joseph needed his natural skills and his character to, de- to be developed as well. So in Genesis 39, 1 through 2, jo- Joseph had been brought down to Egypt, and Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the guard, an Egyptian, had brought him for- bought him bought him. From the Ishmaelites who had brought him down there and the Lord was with Joseph and he became a successful man and he was in the house of his Egyptian master now you now understand Joseph was not a successful man in the way we understand a successful man many of us will think if you're a successful man you work for a fortune 500 company you have millions of dollars in the bank Joseph was a successful man but he was a servant in the house of Potiphar why was he successful because God was with him And God was showing him favor in whatever circumstance he was in. So we have to change our definition to the biblical definition. For an example, Mary is blessed and highly favored of God. I want to be blessed and highly favored of God. So do I. But the ramifications of her being blessed and highly favored of God is she was ostracized by her family and by the community. Because in their minds, (laughs) yeah, you... You, you uh, were were not a nice girl. You did things you shouldn't be done. This baby wasn't. Get, this was not from God. We know where the baby come from. It was probably Joseph. It's not what happened. So she was blessed and highly favored of God, but she wasn't favored by man. So what I'm saying is, we have to learn to to, to take our definitions not. The way we understand them, but biblically the way they're supposed to be understood so jacob was blessed and he was prosperous but he was prosperous in the house of potiphar the word for joseph being brought down to egypt is the hebrew word yarad. it means to bring down to cause to fall down or to descend, and that is what is happening in joseph's life he was experiencing the chipping down of his pride so that he would be prepared for the future that god had for him okay so the second thing that God, we see God working on in His life, and this is all a process. And you know, He He uh, came to a position of rulership in Egypt when He was thirty. But from the time that he was 17 to the time that he was 30, 13 years, he was a servant or a slave to Potiphar. And then he was, a, he was in jail and he was servant to the, to the uh, ruler of the jail, you know, the, the, the one that ran this jail. So he was not in a position of, of uh, over Egypt. He, was, he, he learned how to serve by actually being a servant. So, throughout this time, second thing we find is, uh, and that God's working on is Joseph's self-reliance. Genesis 39, 4, and then 7 through 11. So, Joseph found favor in his sight, to Potiphar's sight, and attended him, and he made him overseer of his house and put him in charge of all that he had. And after a time, his master's wife cast her eyes on Joseph and said, lie with me. But he refused and said to his master's wife, Behold, because of my master me, my master has no concern about anything in the house, and he's put everything that he has in my charge. He is not greater in this house than I am, nor has he kept back anything from me except you because you are his wife. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? And as she spoke to Joseph day after day, he would not listen to her to lie beside her or to be with her. And by the way, I want you to know that temptation is not a one-time thing. The enemy will come at you again and again and again and again and again. But one day when he went into the house to do his work and none of the men of the house was there in the house, she caught him by his garment saying, lie with me. But he left his garment in her hand and fled and got out of the house. So here's the problem that I believe this text exposes about Joseph and his character. Joseph was indeed standing for God and refused to bow to the consistent form of temptation that was being presented to him in the form of Potiphar's wife. And while he successfully repulsed her persuasions time and time again, what he did not do was to create an environment where he could not be tempted. In my opinion, he was self-reliant. That is, whatever it might be, Joseph felt as if he could handle the situation. Why I say this is because of what the text reveals again about the situation. You've got to remember, Joseph was in charge of the house. So Joseph assigned the duties of those under his supervision. supervision. Joseph could have arranged the workings of the household in such a way that he was never alone with Potiphar's wife. Yet we find that Joseph is in the house while his master's wife was at home alone. He knew what she was like, and he did nothing to protect himself in this situation. My point is, I believe he was self-reliant. He had learned how to live life on his own, and he believed he could do this on his own. However, we also see that this way of thinking would have been dealt with in his life. However, we also see that this way of thinking would have to be dealt with in his life if he was going to fulfill his God-given purpose in life. So while that exposes something in his life the consequences of that and the chipping down of that is going to be taken care of through the next thing that he goes through but in the next thing we're going to see that brings out about Joseph it also brings out Joseph's self-serving Now, one thing we need to realize about Joseph is that while the Bible doesn't always say how he overcame these things we know that God is working on these things in his life and we know that at some point God said okay now you're ready I don't know about you, but whenever I'm going through something, I don't have this thing in my head that says, this is what God is working on in your life. I just go through stuff. And then when I go through stuff, whether I succeed or whether I fail, I want to tell you something. I've had many more failures than I've had successes. But experience is is something that you learn just as much if not more from your failures as your successes if you're willing to rehearse what you've went through see a lot of people just live life they don't learn anything from life they don't examine what did i do wrong what did i do right they don't ask God. What were you trying to teach me? The Bible says, "If any man lack wisdom, let him ask of God, that give it to all men liberally, without reproach, and it shall be given him." But let him ask in faith, nothing wavering. And then you know goes on with the rest of that. My point is, is that you have to reflect on life. That's really what Proverbs is: is Solomon reflecting, giving you reflections on life, wisdom that he learned through life, God-given wisdom. Well, how do we learn wisdom? God-given wisdom. But God-given wisdom doesn't always come vertically sometimes it comes horizontally and it does it comes many different ways but I want to tell you something I've, I've made a lot of mistakes I still make a lot of mistakes I just even this week I'm thinking you know I said some things you know just commenting on certain situations in life and and just and I said God when I'm into my quiet time I said I don't want to say anything that would in any way even hint at at uh, 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 commenting on someone's character I don't want to do that right? And, and I'm learning. I'm thinking about, because it wasn't a bad thing. I didn't say a bad thing. I just, just was kind of talking about certain situations. But even then, I'm thinking to myself, I don't even want to go there. I'm learning. I'm growing in life. I'm, I want to learn from what I did wrong. I want the Holy Spirit to speak into my life. I want to be better uh, in the following year than I was this year. And the only way that's going to happen is if I allow God to work in my life and learn what He's trying to teach me. So it's not just, hey man, I got a problem with self-serving. Well, God will help you through that problem, but what have you learned about that? Nothing. When I'm, I'm reminded of a situation when I was in Bible College, I, I, was, I was very, I came from a very troubled home, you would never know that from the outside, but from the inside I came from a very difficult situation and um one of the things that it beat down was my self-image you know and one of the things that i learned how to do is i learned how to be good at stuff if i was good at stuff i got praise i got adulation you know one of the things that we hope to teach the church and i I know as i'm growing in my preaching i will go off a little bit is that okay Is not okay That's all right I think sometimes we can learn from that, you know? But anyway, as I'm, I'm, I'm so uh, I, I learned how to, uh, to receive uh, the needed, uh, that of boys, by being good at stuff. I was good at tennis. And when I got good at tennis, I felt praise. And to me, I equated praise with love, right? It's called a performance mentality. And that's what I had. So I went to Bama school, and the Bama says, Uh, And while I'm in Bible school, I'm reading scriptures, you know, and the Bible says there's one person with one talent, one person with three talents, one person with five talents. And I said, well, I'm the one with five talents. I'm five talents. People are going to realize. Just, and I look back on that. I "I can't believe I said that. I wasn't really saying it out of pride. I realize now I was saying it out of rejection. Fear of, now I realize, I don't believe I had five talents at all. I believe I had one but I'm thankful for the one that he gave me and I try to be faithful with the one that he gave me and hopefully God gives me more but I learned something from that situation I learned something from things that I said things that were going on in my life and, and God had to teach me about that that wounded part of my soul and you got to realize I'm a Christian and I'm, going to, I'm called to be a preacher and I'm in Bible school And I realized just how much God needed to work in my life and through my life. And then when I've been preaching for years and years, I came here. And when I came here, after five or seven years, like it was after seven years of being here, God healed me of something else that was very important in my life. So we're never like, hey, I've reached there, or I've arrived. God is consistently working in us, preparing us for that which he has called us to do. Well will make it sense to you. Okay, so the next thing we look at is Joseph self-serving. Genesis 41 through 4. Sometime after this, the cupbearer of the king of Egypt and his baker committed an offense against their lord, the king of Egypt. And Pharaoh was angry with his two officers, the chief cupbearer and the chief baker. This would be like the ministry of uh, defense or the ministry. These are, these are not just, these, these are like heads of, of government departments. And they're in jail right now, you know? Uh, Maybe they were there on January 6th. I don't know. I'm just kidding. So, uh, and he put them in custody in the house of the captain of the guard in the prison where Joseph was confined. The captain of the guard appointed Joseph to be with them and he attended them. They continued for some time in custody. Joseph was a gifted man. Not only was a favor of God on him, but he was gifted in leadership, administration, and he also had the ability to interpret dreams. His gift was not dreaming, his gift was the ability to interpret the dreams that he and others were given. Make a sense? We all have dreams, and that's a revelation many times from the Lord, sometimes a revelation from the enemy, sometimes it's just bad pizza. How <laughs> don't know what it is. Well, oftentimes, as you talk to people, somebody will have a gift able to make sense of that. No, that's not from God. Yes, that is from God. Well, what does it mean? Well, let me see if the Lord reveals it to me, and that's what God did with Joseph. I messed up my mic here somehow. There we go. Okay, so Genesis 37, 5 through 8, Joseph had a dream, and we told it to his brothers. They hated him even more, and he said to them, hear this dream that I've dreamed, and then he, uh, he interpreted the dream that he was given. While he was in the prison... He was given custody over two of Pharaoh's officials. They were not lower-level officials, but these were high-level people. They had a dream, and Joseph's gift was activated, and he proceeded to hear and give the interpretation of the cupbearer's dream. And he said to them in Genesis 48 and then 12 through 13, they said to him, We've had dreams, and there's no one to interpret them. And Joseph said to them, Do not interpretations belong to God. Tell them to me. Verse 12, Joseph said to him, the first one, This is its interpretation three branches or three days and three days pharaoh will lift up your head and restore you to your office and you shall place pharaoh's cup in his hand as formerly when you were his cupbearer so the problem was not that joseph used his gift to interpret the dream for the two men but he was leveraging his gift for his own benefit so wait a minute where did he do that well we'll get to it in a minute But his hope was that in the functioning of the gift, the person who was benefiting would turn around and benefit him for the service that Joseph had provided him. Now, let me tell you how we get there. In Genesis 40 and 14, after he gave the cupbearer this good interpretation of what was going to happen in three days, it says Joseph said to him, only remember me when it is well with you. You know what we call that? Quid pro quo. I did something for you you do something for me right when it is well with you and please do me the kindness to mention me to Pharaoh and so get me out of this house that a whole uh, there's a whole system in place of people that are called lobbyists that try to get influence with somebody that can do something about their situation in some ways that's what Joseph is doing he's lobbying for something right and he tells them why because I was indeed stolen out of the land of the Hebrews and here also I've done nothing that they should put me into the pit now didn't Joseph himself say do not interpretations belong to God he did Matthew ten five and 8 these 12 Jesus sent out and commanded them saying do not go into the way of the Gentiles do not enter the city of the Samaritans but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel and as you go preach saying the kingdom of heaven is at hand why did I put that in there have you ever copied and paste something and forget that you already have something called co- I think that's what I did there. All right. Uh, anyway, that's a good scripture. The Lord must want us to know that. Thank you, Jesus. So what I want there's <laughs> a let's go to the next scripture, First Corinthians 12, 4 through 7. There are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit, varieties of service, but the same Lord, and varieties of activities, but the same God, who empowers them all and everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. God gave Joseph these gifts. But instead of letting God use him, and see, when God causes us to use the gifts that he has given to us, they're not for our glory, they're for his glory. They're not for us to aggrandize ourselves or gain benefit from what uh, we are doing, and we see that in a lot of Christian culture, a lot of uh, abuses when it comes to some ministers and how they leverage what they give to you for money, selling things for money. And listen... It is part of ministry that you do raise funds it's not a, it's not about raising funds it's not about getting money but you can tell sometimes when there's an abuse in there right and so in some ways god doesn't want joseph doing that and joseph is like it's kind of like god is ref- working on joseph god is testing joseph joseph does this and it's almost like god says you still in need a little more baking you know you ever open, you ever bake something and uh, I like to watch this show, The Eng- Greatest English, uh, English Great Baking Show. I can't remember the name of it. But anyway, it's an English baking show. And they're always baking stuff, and they got to open it up. And the way they test it, sometimes they don't know if it's ready or not, but some of the way they test it, they put a little toothpick in there, and if it comes up wet, it's not done yet. And they said, 15 more minutes. It's like with Joseph, God tested him and said, two more years. <laughs> two more years. Hey, listen. With God, a, uh, a thousand years is like a day, and day is like a thousand years. Sometimes I say to the Lord, God, don't forget, I'm mortal, and I got 70, 80 years according to your word. So it's like God looks over here, and it's like, where's Rick? Oh, man, that was a couple hundred years ago. I forgot. No, he doesn't do that. I don't know. But anyway, because of his actions, Joseph spent another two years serving in the prison. Psalms 105, 18 22. They hurt his feet with fetters. He was laid in irons until the time that his word came to pass. The word of the Lord refined him. The king sent and released him. The ruler of the people let him go free. He made him lord of his house and ruler of all his possessions to bind the princes at his pleasure and teach his elders wisdom. What was the catalyst for his release from the prison into the palace? I believe it was the final test when he was presented before Pharaoh, right? so it's another opportunity to see whether he's ready or not and and this is what we'll call Joseph's promotion the fourth point Genesis 41 15 through 16 Pharaoh said to Joseph I've had a dream and there's no one who can interpret it I heard it said of you that when you hear a dream you can interpret it Joseph answered Pharaoh it's not in me God will give Pharaoh a favorable answer Hmm, got the first one right right Genesis 41, 33 through 36. Now, therefore, let Pharaoh select a discerning and wise man and set him over the land of Egypt. Now, after he interpreted the dream, they figured out what it is. Joseph is giving Pharaoh advice. Remember, the last time he said this, he said, Don't forget me. I'm in prison because I, my brothers, you know, they hated me. They threw me down here. I was falsely accused. And, I, and you know, I did something for you. Now, okay. Now, he has the opportunity. Let's see whether or not he learned something from there. Okay. So anyway, he says, let Pharaoh select a discerning and wise man and set him over the land of Egypt. He didn't say me. He said, here's what you need to do. Let Pharaoh proceed to appoint overseers over the land and take one-fifth of the produce of the land of Egypt during the seven plentiful years and let them gather all the food of those good years that are coming and store up grain under the authority of Pharaoh for food in the cities and let him keep it, that food shall be in reserve for the land again, the seven years of famine that are to occur in the land of Egypt so that the land may not perish through the famine. So Joseph was not bragging on what he could do, first of all. Joseph was not relying on what he could do. And Joseph was not using his gifts to benefit himself. His concern was solely on the one whom he was standing before. Notice that the text goes on to say in Genesis 41, 37 through 41, this proposal pleased Pharaoh and all his servants. You know, sometimes what pleases God is when you can please the people that you've been sent to serve. That's right. That's right. And sometimes the catalyst for your promotion is not I I take care of God but I don't serve people. It's in your service of people you determine whether or not you really do have learned something from God. Amen. So, Pharaoh said to his servants, "Can we find a man like this in whom is the spirit of God?" What is it? I, you know, you got to realize, have you ever hang around people that have influence or money? People always come to them and say, and they drop hints or say, can you do this for me? Or can you give me something? Or, hey man, i got a problem here, you know? They're always doing that to people. What do you think they do with Pharaoh? I need this, Pharaoh. Can you do this? Oh, i got a problem. Oh, you know, they're always doing that. But you know what Joseph didn't do? That. And I think Pharaoh saw something different in him, not only by the wisdom that he gave, but also in how he didn't try to aggrandize himself. He didn't try to benefit himself. He didn't try to find some reason. He, he just was giving him, unsolicited, I mean, uh, giving him good advice without anything uh, 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 in return asked of him. And so he says, Can we find a man like this in whom is the Spirit of God? And Pharaoh said to Joseph, Since God has shown you all this, There is none so discerning as wise as you. You shall be over my house. And all my people shall order themselves as you command. Only as regards to the throne will I be greater than you. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, See, I have set you over all the land of Egypt. So it wasn't Joseph that pleased Pharaoh. It was Joseph's proposal it was the wisdom that flowed unhindered through a vessel that was prepared for the service of God by serving the people around him and seeking their welfare. Sometimes we'll, we'll do good for other people because we think it gives us points with God. Right? I'm not saying that that's not a starting place, but God wants us to do well for other people because he loves them whether we get anything from it or not it is his heart he causes it to rain on the just and the unjust right anyway so um, I had something in my head put it aside so Joseph was finally ready for the fulfillment of the destiny to which he was called remember when he was 17 we got a glimpse into some of the calling that destiny that God had on his life This wasn't new. This didn't come out of the blue. God knew what he was going to do. God was preparing him, and when he was ready, there it was. And God is preparing you. See, we look oftentimes at the situation where we're at, and sometimes we quit. We quit cooking. We get ourselves out of the oven. We put ourselves in a place where we—and I know. I know. I've been there, right? guess what happens some another biblical metaphor we go around the mountain another time until we learn what we need to learn so we can prepare be prepared for what God has for us God's purpose in taking the Israelites out of Egypt was not just to get them out of Egypt it was for them to have an inheritance in the promised land he had to prepare them and he had to deal with their slave mentality, their poverty mentality, their worldly mentality. All of it. He had to teach them differently so that they could go in and they could live a kingdom life in the land that God wanted to give them. In other words, he had to prepare the slaves to learn how to be kings. He had to. He had to teach those that had been ruled and oppressed. To rule, what, you know, people that have been oppressed. Well, when I get in power, I'm gonna teach everybody a lesson. <laughs> and so, what happens is the the person on the on the inside is now been given power, but there's no change on the inside. If you make a pauper into a prince, he's gonna have a lot of stuff, but he's not changed on the inside. He's still a poverty man poverty mentality on the on the inside even though he has all this stuff on the outside and he's not gonna do with all this stuff what benefits others what benefits he's gonna live the poverty mentality that he is because out of the out of the inside out of the belly the mouth speaks remember Scrooge you're like where'd that come from Christmas Carol Scrooge, he had everything. But what kind of mindset did he have? What kind of heart did he have? He had a poverty mentality. And God went to work on him. Now, you know, it's a story. But in one night, God was able to transform his inside. He was a wealthy man on the outside, but he was a very poor man on the inside. When he became a wealthy man on the outside, he had wealth on the inside. All those around him... Benefited from the wealth that he had. And I promise you that he was doubly wealthy because now it wasn't just money that he had. He had joy. He had, he had uh, uh, all the huh, friendship. He had all that really makes someone rich. It's not money. You see, people think that money will buy you poverty. I mean, it will buy you uh, uh, joy. It will buy you peace. It will buy you happiness. It will buy you everything that God gives for free. For the kingdom of heaven is not a matter of meat and drink, but righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit, right? Well, if I have money, I'll give my spouse everything they ever wanted, and then our marriage will be better. If you think that's going to make your marriage better, you're wrong. This is what's in here. And God... It doesn't work from the outside in. God works from the inside out. He has a destiny for you. He has a purpose for you. Maybe you're going through the ringer right now. Maybe you're wondering why is all the stuff that God has spoken to me, why hasn't it come to pass? Is because God's working on you to prepare you for that which he has planned for you. And listen, God has a lot of time. If you don't learn it this year, it'll be another year. It could be another two years. It could be three years. As long as you don't quit, he'll get you there i'm 59 years old and god has promised me some things and i said well god i'm 59 years old i don't know if i want to do these things anymore <laughs> i wanted to do these things when i was 40. and it's like god says well you weren't ready when you were 40. i'm not saying he said i'm ready now i'm just saying is that you weren't ready when you were 40. well man i had a friend that he went and did what he always wanted to do when he was 62 years old y'all know He said, hey, God said, now it's time to do what you've been called to do at 62 years old. He said, praise God, hallelujah, this is what I wanted to do for 10 years. He finally got to do all that God wanted him to do, but it took 62 years of preparation to get him there, right? All I'm saying is that if we can learn it sooner, we might get into our destiny sooner. Joseph was finally ready for the fulfillment of, of the destiny to which he was called. His destiny was not to just to preserve Egypt but also his brethren the ones that he was taunting when he was young, in my opinion All right. Genesis 45, 4-8, so Joseph said to his brothers, come near to me please he was already ruler of Egypt, they had come, a lot of stuff, it's a good story, you should read it, um, oh no, they're thinking to themselves it's Joseph, we're in trouble, he's going to kill us because they sold him, they sold, and they wanted to kill him, and they sold him into slavery. He's like, "Oh, now he's got power. We're dead meat." And anyway, they came there, and he said, "I'm your brother Joseph, who's, whom you sold into Egypt." Da 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 da. Now listen now. Yeah, there's no music in here, but it's right, so just a little for dramatic flair, you know. <laughs> and now, do not be distressed or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. For God sent me here before you to preserve life. You don't know this, but I know. The famine has been in the land these two years, and there are yet five years in which there will be neither plowing nor harvest. And God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to keep alive for you many survivors. So it is not you who sent me here, but God. God writes the best stories. And he does it in real time. He has made me a father to Pharaoh and lord of all his house and ruler of all the land of Egypt. All that God promised me, all that God showed me, I didn't have the right heart, but what God said came to pass. And now I know why he brought me here. It was not to be ruler over you, but to serve you. To preserve life. In the same way, in conclusion, that God had a purpose for Joseph and worked to make Joseph ready to fulfill that purpose, God has a purpose for us as well. I believe God is working in all of us to bring us to a place where his will for us and through us can flow forth unhindered, whereby God can use us to be a powerful instrument to further his purposes in the earth, to save, preserve, and provide for those around us. The question is, now, will we recognize his plan? Will we succumb to the process that his good purposes will be propagated through us? I hope, like Isaiah, when we hear God's voice, when we hear what God is doing, we will all raise our hand and say, here am I, use me, send me. I want to fulfill your purposes. In this earth, and I, it's just I can't, I can't, I'm done. But I just want to continue to tell you over and over again: God didn't save you to preserve you, just to keep you hidden in a church, so that when you die, you can go to heaven. I'm not saying that's not important, but God saved you so that His work in you could be translated through you so that you would go out and like Jesus did when he was on the planet, we can be the light that points people to God and we can change the situation, not play defense, but play offense. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Amen? Use me, Lord. Here am I. Send me.